So we've been in Ecclesiastes for a few weeks now, and it's really easy to kind of like go, oh, we found Eeyore of the Bible, right? Like everything's meaningless, it doesn't matter, it's all vanity. And the problem with like, it's not really a problem, but when you, when you forget the end of the story because we're going section by section, verse by verse, you can start getting the skewed perspective of this. He's going to an end. Kai started uh, the series off a few weeks ago and pointed us to the end result, the conclusion he's going to come to. And, and what, what you need to grab a hold of every single time we open it is, is the truth of what he's really doing. He's, he's trying to show us where you can find real meaning in life. He's trying to show us where, where you can find true purpose and contentment and all those different kinds of things. And the way he's doing that is showing you where, you where you don't find it. He's showing you all the dead end roads that you can, you, man, I'm going to try to find meaning in my work or I'm going to try to find ultimate meaning in, in possessions or pleasure or whatever it is. And he says, no, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. It's a dead end. But he's really given us a secret. If we'll grab a hold of it, it'll save us from a lot of trouble and it'll save us from wasting our life or wasting big parts of our life by chasing after the wrong things or trying to find the ultimate thing and uh, things that can't ultimately satisfy us. That's what he seems to be kind of telling us, and I want us to remember that. This is actually very, very helpful to walk through this and think about it that way. And now he's going to talk about time, and you may think, okay, well, I guess he's going to remind us that time is short and time's running out, time is tick, tick, ticking away and all that kind of stuff, but like, actually, he just, he writes a poem. It's very melancholy anyway. Figure he'll write some poetry for us. It's one of the most famous poems, maybe the most famous poem about time ever. And he, he starts it by saying, everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then he walks through these different seasons and these different times. And there's a time to be born and a time to die. And if you, if you kind of think about it, you think about time and think about a big old grandfather clock that's, that's ticking back and forth, the, the thing that's swinging, the, you know, tick, tock. Tick tock, and it's a time to be born, and a time to die, and a time to plant, and a time to harvest. Like you can kind of see the rhythm of it, even in the English translation, you can see a rhythm to this poem as he's walking through these different kinds of things. And it's interesting to look at each one of them individually, right? And think about time to be born and a time to die, and how it encompasses everything. It's like the, the two extremes born, our birth, and our death, and all that's in between. There's a time for that, there's a season for everything. And that, that's really kind of what he's saying. For everything, there is a season. For, for every, everything in life, like there's a season for it all. And so every individual one kind of, kind of has an extreme and an, an, the opposite extreme and then everything in between is all a part of what he's talking about, all these different seasons of life. And uh, like Kai said, we have some younger kids in the service today. And whenever we do that, we try to do a, a, some different things to, to kind of help them and help you keep them engaged. And I like to ask for pictures. I like for the kids to draw me pictures. And I, I've had a few good ones today. I even had a couple from our high school students. But that, that was all right. So... Um, <laughs> Maybe just point them to one of these verses. I don't know if it's a great idea to just say, hey, draw me your favorite verse in this thing, because that could be some weird pictures come out of this. But maybe, maybe verse 4. If you got a little kid in here with you today, maybe point them to verse 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I think we've all drawn that in Pictionary at some point. So maybe, maybe draw a dance party, or maybe draw a time to, time to laugh, or maybe saw, show the... So the contrast between those two things, it's a, that, that could be one that you could focus their attention on as they draw that. Please, if you draw that, please bring it to me. I'd love to see it after the service. Uh, parents, verse 7, you can point to that as well as you're trying to uh, guide them through the service. It says there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
this is the Bible so helpful to us. Like there's, hey, we just used our voices and we were singing and we were proclaiming. That's the time to, time to speak and time to sing. And there's also a time to sit still and to listen and to draw and to take notes and all those different kinds of things. It's all part of the flow of the service and you can kind of guide them in that as you're doing that. But this idea that he seems to be trying to remind us of is this for everything there's a season, which is so helpful. Because, man, our lives are dominated by the calendar. Our lives are dominated by the next schedule, the next appointment, the next thing on the list. And he's trying to back us up from that calendar mentality and show us that it's really seasons. Like you go through one season and then that, that, that turns into another season. And sometimes it's a swing, right? Sometimes you find yourself in the middle, but a lot of times it's I'm in this season and all of a sudden I'm in this other season. And he kind of wants us to see all of life, for everything, there is a season. And to kind of embrace the season that you're in. And you can embrace that season knowing that, hey, there's a, there's a flow to it. There's, there's, there's an author to it that God is, God, is, God is working in those seasons. He's bringing those seasons in. He's bringing those seasons out. And so you know that whatever season you're in, it's not going to last. There's, there's something coming. And maybe this is a good season and there's going to be a rougher one ahead of you. But you can, you can still know that God is the, the author of this. And maybe you're in a really difficult season right now. And it's, it's helpful to know that, hey, this isn't, this isn't going to last. Uh, there's something else coming. And what, what it's supposed to do, I think, is supposed to lead us to that place where we, we just enjoy and embrace the season that we're in, knowing it's, it's a gift from God. No matter what it is, it's, it's by his hand. And, and the tendency for us is to always be, like, ready for the next season, right? Like, if you're a student in here, if you're, uh, students are the best at this. Like, I just can't, man, we just started school. I can't wait to fall break. I can't wait to think. I can't wait to Christmas. I can't wait to spring break. I can't wait to summer. Like, we can't wait till I'm 80 years old. That's the kind of point. Like, like I just can't wait for the next season that's coming. And we, we, man, it's so easy to miss the season that you're in. That God is say, hey, hey, embrace the season. Everything, there's a season. Under heaven, there's a season. So embrace it. No matter what that season is, maybe you're single in here and you really want to be married. And, and, and that's a good thing to aspire to, obviously. But, man, don't miss the season and what God's teaching you in the season, what God has for you in the season. Maybe you're, maybe you're married and you, you don't have kids and you really want kids. Maybe you're even, like, trying to figure, figure that out. Maybe that's been a difficult season for you because you really want kids. And, and, and maybe God is saying, hey, don't miss what I'm doing. What, don't miss what I'm teaching. Don't miss it. Every season we can embrace it. Maybe you're a parent right now and you have toddlers and you think, wow, this is a long season. And I get it, I was there, and I blinked, and it was gone. Like, don't miss the season. Embrace it for everything there is a season. And Craig Bartholomew's a commentator, uh, and he wrote this in his Ecclesiastes commentary. He said, the story of my life has broken characters, jarring interruptions, unexpected joys, and relationships caught up in unresolved tensions and difficulties, seasons. Highs and lows, it's all like, that's how life flows. And he says, in God's kindness, I have as yet unfinished chapters. I love that line. In God's kindness, there's an unfinished chapter. The fact that you're here today means your story's not over. It's a gift from God that you got to wake up today. We were talking about that last week. And so there's an unfinished chapter. There's more that he's writing. There's another season coming. Unfinished chapters. But then he reminds us of the big picture truth, but my story is not the story. The story reveals that there will be a time for judgment, and believers trust that judgment will finally prevail, that God's over all of this. Last week, we were talking about the fact that death is the end of all of us. Doesn't matter what, death is still coming for all of us, and so in light of that, let it inform how you live your life. In light of that, let it make every day a gift 
And in light of that, know that, man, God's, there's an end coming. There's a judgment coming. He's the king. He's the judge. And he's going to make everything right. He will prevail over all of it. And that should bring us comfort, should allow us to embrace whatever season we're in. That's the, for everything there's a season, it's a big picture truth. And that leads us to a couple understandings in this text. If, if you just focus on the poetry, it's just like kind of every poem. It's hard to understand sometimes. And you need some prose after it. So 9 through 15, those verses 9 through 15 that we didn't read is where he begins to unpack what he's kind of saying about all these different seasons and times and point us to some really, really important truths. And the first one is this, in every season we can trust God. In every season we can trust God, which is not spelled out in one of these verses, hey, oh, in light of this, trust God, but it's implied all throughout this passage. It's very clear all throughout the Bible that that's one of God's goals for us is that we would trust him completely, that we would rely on him, we would depend upon him. We wouldn't think that we got this, but we would know that we need God. We would trust him. And so in every season, we can trust him. In verse 9, after he comes out of the poem, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? Which kind of is like, hey, is there any meaning to this? Is there any, any reason we should even do this? And then he, he, he points us back to this truth that God is... We can trust him. And, and he does that in some, several different ways throughout this text. And, and one of them is this truth that he's the creator. We can trust God because he's the creator of all of this. That, that time in itself is his invention. It's his idea. Just stop and think about that for a second. The Bible starts with the words, in the beginning, even though God had no beginning, like he started the timeline. Like he, he created the world, he spoke it in existence, and he started this thing called time that we are bound to, that we are inside of, but he is not. He's above it because he created it. And he's the creator of everything. And the fact that he's the creator of even time and every season that we walk through should help us trust him. Oh, he made this. He's the author of it. He he. he he came up with the whole idea of every season of our life, and he's walking us through it so we can trust him. He's the creator. And that, that's such a foundational truth. The fact that we believe as Christ followers that God created the heavens and the earth, that he created the world as a foundational truth for our worldview. It's supposed to inform how we see the world, how we understand the world, how it works, and how, we, how we're supposed to live in it is this idea of creation. It's a foundational truth of the gospel message, the good news of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and came to rescue us, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That's good news for us, but it's really good news when you understand the problem, and the problem starts with God created the world, and it was perfect, and we, man, we mess it up. One of the ways we teach the gospel is God, man, Christ, response. God, the creator of the world, he made it all, and so we, as the creature, are accountable to him. He made us, so he gets to determine how we should live. Like, he has the best plan for that. And man, all the problems in the world are because, man, you and me, we rejected him as creator. We rejected his authority, and, and we rejected that accountability. He said, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do things my way. And sin and all of its trouble has come into the world, all of its pain, all of its suffering, because we rejected God as creator. And Jesus came to make that right. That's why that's good news, because we messed it up and we couldn't fix it. Jesus came to rescue us from that. So this idea that God is the creator is foundational. It's like it should guide everything about us. Like it sets the stage for us to live in this world with this understanding that he made everything. We're accountable to him. We rejected it, and we needed somebody to help us. We needed somebody to save us from that. 
And so God is the creator. And because he's the creator of even time, we should trust him. In every season, we can trust him. And the second part of that is that he's in control. He's, he didn't just create the world, start time, start the clock, right, and then back up and go, good luck, everybody. Hope you figure it out. No, the Bible tells us that he's in, he's in the middle of it. He's in control of it. He's working in every situation, every detail of our life. He's got his hands in it. He's orchestrating. He's in control of everything. And because of that, we can trust him. We, we can trust him because he, he made this. He, he made us. He created us. He put us in this timeline. But, but he's also involved in it. He's in control of it. It's not outside of his control. He's in control of it. And, guys, this is so this is such a needed message for you and for me because we're, we, we live in a culture of control. And so you're like, yeah, I know some people with control issues. Like, we all have control issues. That's the culture that we live in. We all want to be in control, and we all grab a hold of this illusion that we have some kind of control. And this truth in this passage and in all the Bibles remind us that you're not in control. I'm not in control. He's in control. I should trust him because I am not ever in control. And you go, well, I don't know if I struggle with that. Okay, well, who uses the, who, who's in charge of the remote control when you're all watching TV at your house? I mean, it's a battle, right? Like, I, I want control of that thing. As we're going to take the next hour and just scroll through movies we might watch on Netflix without ever actually watching one, I want to be in control of that process. And all of a sudden, I think I'm in control, right? Until the remote doesn't work or we lose the remote and then nobody's in control. It's like, oh, no. I mean, we think if I know the weather report and I know what's coming then I'm, I'm somehow in control of that. And we heard a story today about how they thought it was going to rain them out on that thing in Colorado, and then they realized, well, that weather report wasn't in control. We, we don't control the weather. We can't magically make it not be 110 right now and like feel like a nice place to live. Like We can't do that. We're not in control of that at all. Guys, Pete Delkus is not even in control of the weather. Don't tell him I said that, but he's not. Like, it, nobody's in control. We think we're in control, and this truth is reminding us, you and I are not in control. He is. That's why you can trust him, because he's in control of every situation and every season. Here's what Philip Ryken in his book, Why Everything Matters, said about this. He says, everything in this time-bound universe is under the authority of God in heaven. The sovereign God rules over time and over what happens in time. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Nothing happens outside the will of God. Grab that. Go to the bank on that. Put it in savings. Like nothing happens outside the will of God. Whatever season you're in right now, it's not outside of his will. He's in control of it. You can trust him with it. Because you know he's in control of it. Even, even if it's a difficult, dark time and you don't like any of the season, like you, here's what will help you get through it is knowing that he's in control of it. Even if it caught you completely by surprise, it caught you off guard, you didn't see this season coming at all, he's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's in complete control and everything that happens to us is in the context of his will for us because he's in control. But here's the next one. He makes everything beautiful in his time. In verse 11, that, like, that reminds us that he's the creator. He makes everything beautiful, but it reminds us of what he's doing as the creator. And what he's doing in his control of everything is he's making everything beautiful. 
It reminds us of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Those who love God are called according to his purpose. That God's promise to us that he takes everything, everything in our lives and brings some good out of it, works something good out of everything. And God always keeps his promises. And so when he says he's going to take everything, all things work together for good, everything is made beautiful in his time, we can trust him. He's the creator, but he didn't just say good luck. He's in control of creation. He's involved, and here's what he's doing. He's working good. He's making everything beautiful, even the difficult things, even the dark things, even the really, really hard things. He's working it for good, and so we can trust him because of that. He's creator. He's in control. He makes everything beautiful in its time, and then here's one that kind of steps outside that a little bit. It's kind of a paradox in some ways, and, and that he doesn't give us the whole picture. We, we can trust him because he doesn't give us the whole picture, or in, even though he doesn't give us the whole picture. I want you to see this verse 11 again. He's made everything beautiful in his time, and this, the next part of the verse says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, don't miss this. He's put a sense of eternity, eternity into all of us. He's put it in our hearts. Which means that no matter how much you want to deny it, we kind of have this deep innate understanding that this life is not all there is. Like there's something more than just this, right? And he's, God put that there, that, that feeling, that understanding that the, we're eternity, but he put it in a way that we can't understand all of it. He put it there in a way that we can't figure everything out, that we're going to have questions. Why would he do that? Well, he wants us to trust him. He wants to, hey, you're not going to get all the answers. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So you're not going to understand everything that God does. You're not going to understand every season that you're going through. And he wants you to trust him in the middle of that, knowing that you don't have all the answers. I mean, the fact that he put eternity in our hearts, it's like, that's confusing, right? Eternity is hard to grasp. If you think about it, time is hard to grasp. I mean, we're talking about time, and we understand time. We know what time it is and what time we get out and what time we're, what, what we're doing next and what time we're going to. Like, but we don't really understand time. If you, like, it's, it's a confusing concept. The fact that God's outside of it and we're inside of it, we're bound by it, and he's not. Like, that's all kind of confusing. If you think time's not confusing, then maybe you've never traveled to Asia. I mean, it's like 13, 14 hours ahead, and then you come back, and it's like everything's messed up for a while. We had, we had uh, Glory and Sophie went to Japan this last summer, and uh, they're serving on an Igo trip over there, and they were coming back. They left Osaka, Japan, and flew to Tokyo, brief layover, flew from Tokyo to Los Angeles before they came to Dallas, and they arrived in Los Angeles before they left Tokyo, time-wise. The time, like, they were living bonus yesterday at that point. I don't even know what that is, but, like, they, le they left Tokyo, and they got home before they arrived, like, before they had left. It's, it's crazy if you stop thinking about these times and how we do that and then daylight savings time and whatever nonsense that is, like it's all confusing. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, a student team that went to New York and uh, one of the girls on the team hadn't, hadn't traveled much and they were coming back and they were on the plane, they were texting each other and uh, she was trying to figure out what time they were gonna land in Dallas and it was 9 p.m. on the New York time that they were in and somebody answered her, I think we're gonna land at 8.45. And it's like, what? <laughs> we, it's already 9. We can't land at 8.45. And somebody was trying in a text message on an airplane explain how the time zone thing was working. And she responded and she said, I guess we're basically time travelers now. <laughs> I mean, 
It's kind of a confusing concept. And here's what he's throwing. He's throwing eternity into that. A, a, a timeless eternity for all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what you were made for. He's put that sense into your heart, but not so that you can understand it, but so that you can trust him. He's the creator. He's in control. And he's working everything good here. And ultimately, everything's going to be good forever. And so we can trust him. And every season, we can trust God. And, and then the, it, it's this idea of, I know that he's in control, and he's good, and even if I don't understand anything, it's okay. There was a guy a long time ago named Didymus the Blind. and I, I guess he was blind. I don't know, but that was what he was known as, Didymus the Blind. And one of the things that he's famous for saying is he, this idea of trusting God even when you don't understand. He goes, have you ever seen a giant ship sailing on the ocean, which is an interesting thing to say if you're blind, right? Have you ever seen a giant? I would like to see one. So he's, and you, you don't see the captain. If you've been on a cruise ship, you don't even meet the captain, right? But you know he's there. You know there's a plan. You know there's a course. You know somebody's steering this thing. Somebody's taking it in the right direction. You just trust it even though you don't see it. And he's saying, hey, even though you don't have all the answers, you can still trust that God is the captain. He's, he's leading. He's guiding. There's a plan. There's a season. There's every, it's all under his control. And so in every season, we can trust God. And then the other side of this is in every season, we should fear God, which is something we don't talk about much, uh, enough. But if you look at verse 14, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. We're supposed to live with this trust in God and also a healthy sense of fear of God. And what that means for us is really understanding that he's God and I'm not. He's all-powerful and I'm powerless. He's in complete control, and I'm not in control of anything. And when we understand he's God and I'm not, power, control, no power, no control, it's to lead us to awe of him, a fear of him. I mean, wow, this is the God that I serve. This is the God who's made a way for me. This is the God who's reached out to me. This is the God that we get to follow. It should create that sense of fear. Ecclesiastes is is wisdom literature in our Bible. That's the genre it is. It's wisdom literature. It's just like Proverbs. Proverbs we kind of understand as wisdom literature because of all these sayings, all these Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes, we, we don't see it all the same way, but it's really just him telling you about this journey to get to the same conclusion. Proverbs 9 verse 10 is kind of one of the themes of Proverbs, or maybe the theme. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All of Proverbs is saying, hey, fear God, Understand he's God and you're not, and it will lead you to a path of wisdom. It will lead you to the right way to live. And Ecclesiastes, he's going to say the same thing. And the conclusion of all the matter, fear God, keep his commandments. That that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to respond to this, this idea that he created time and we don't even understand all of it should lead us to be in fear of him, to respect him, to be in awe of him. And if it does, it changes things. If it does, it changes your priorities. It changes like you, how you prioritize your time in God's word and your time with God. Like it changes when you fear him and, and you're in awe of him. Your priority of meeting with God's people and worshiping with God's people and learning from, with God's people, that changes when you're in fear, a holy, healthy sense of fear of him. He's God and I'm not. He's powerful and I'm not. I need him. It changes everything when that happens. It's like... Um, 
Susan in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when she finds out she's going to meet Aslan, and then she finds out he's a lion, and she's petrified. She's like, well, is he safe? I, mean, I, I thought he was a man. I didn't, I didn't know he was a lion. Is he, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's like, well, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? He's not safe. He's a lion. And then he goes, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Like that's, that's what God wants. He wants us to understand that he's, he's all-powerful. He's, he's the king of the universe. Like he's the creator of the universe. He's got all the power and all the control. Oh, but he's good. He's working all things for good. And so it leads us to this healthy fear and healthy sense of respect and awe of him. And so that every season we can trust God and every season we should fear God. And how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? What does that look like? And I think it's really kind of two things that this passage points us to. And the first is this. We should embrace every season with joy. I want you to see this in verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better for them, and the them is you and me, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Verse 13, also that everyone should eat that donut. Oh, sorry, that was for the 830. Um, eat that donut and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. The first way we respond to this truth that we can trust him and we should fear him is, is joy. Joy's not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. If something good happens, we feel happy. Something bad happens, we don't. Like joy is this, this deep-seated understanding that God's in control. He's the creator, and he's working all things for good. And even though I don't understand it, I can trust him, and it leads to me to a place of joy. Joy in spite of my circumstances. Joy in the darkest of times. Joy that guides me through everything. Embrace every single season that you're in with joy because he's in control. And then the second thing is embrace every season by doing good. Back in verse 12, he says, nothing better for us than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And so it's that reminder. It's not just about you and me. It's not just about our joy and our happiness and our pleasure. It's about like, hey, God has been good to us and he's given us this day as a gift. Use it for good. Use it for his glory. Use it for his purposes. Look, hey, he's been good to me. I'm going to be good to others because of that. He has shown love to me when I didn't deserve it, so I'm going to show love to others who don't deserve it. Like I'm going to be a, a conduit of God's blessing in the world. I'm going to seek to do good. One of the commentators said about this part that God wants us to be holy and happy. Holy and happy. Following him because of what he's done, because he's in control, submitting to him, looking to obey him in all things, that that is the life he's calling us to with joy in every season and circumstance. Embrace every season with joy. Embrace every season by doing good. So how do you do that? Well, at Crosspoint, you'll hear this all the time. If you've been around a while, you know it's true. Like everything always goes back to Jesus for us. It's not just, well, think about these things really hard and then try to do that is no, look to Jesus and what he did. The gospel's the answer for all of, all of life, not just our salvation, but for everything. It's the wisdom of God, and we're trying to find wisdom in this book. And in context of what we're talking about, I want you to think about this. When Jesus showed up in his ministry on earth, like he was in complete control of time. Have you stopped and think about how many times he refers to that? I mean, he shows up and his ministry is about to begin. He says, the fullness of time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It, it's here. My time has come. And then there's a couple times when they wanted him to take a different path and, and maybe escalate things. And he would actually say, my time's not yet come. Not, not time yet. Because he's in complete control of it. And at the very end, he's like, oh, the hour has come. The, the hour has come. The time has come. Everything happened on 
the schedule that he wanted it to happen. Like, he was complete control all the time of all that. And so much so that when the New Testament writers, like Paul, when he looks back on that, he's like, hey, just the right time God sent Jesus. At just the perfect time Christ died for us. Everything was right on schedule and right on time while he was here. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose out of the grave, he conquered the grave, so we know he's still in control of time now. Just like he was then. He's, he's even more so now. He's in control of everything. We can trust him with it because of who Jesus is and what he's done, where he is now at the right hand of the Father inter- interceding for us like he's in control, and he's coming back one day. I mean, there's going to be a time when he, he, he comes and he makes all things new. He sets the timeline aside, like for all eternity, we get to worship with him and uh, worship him and be with him for all eternity. And that is the promise for you and for me if we're, we've put our faith in Jesus. If you are here and you've put your faith in Jesus, he's, he's coming at a appointed time to end this and to bring us into the perfect heaven eternity that he has for us. And if you're here and you're like, I don't, that's not me. I don't know if that's me. I have, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus yet. You're on your... You're on a journey kind of discovering what that looks like? Number one, we're so glad you're here. Number two, we'd love to talk to you about that. Like, go to First Steps and ask that question. Find one of us. Find somebody that brought you and ask them, like, what does it mean to put your faith in Jesus? Like, that's what matters. That's the only thing that really matters. Philip Ryken says this about how we can trust Jesus and because of his control of time. He says, indeed, Jesus will come at just the right time. At the precise hour his father has appointed. When that day comes, time will be no more. And our deep longing for eternity will finally be satisfied. We'll be with God forever. In the meantime, we'd be wise to pray the way that Moses prayed. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us that death is the end for all of us. So in light of that... How we live matters. And one of the ways that we can find wisdom is ask God to teach us to number our days. Teach us to recognize every day as a gift. Teach us to recognize that we can have joy in every season. Teach us to recognize how to do good in the midst of every season so that we can have wisdom. And then we can be prepared for an eternity with God because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth that's in your word and thank you for time. Time is a gift. Maybe uh, in our culture, the most precious commodity. And help us to see time as a gift and help us to see the seasons of life as a gift, no matter what it is that we're going through right now. That if it's a difficult season, help us to see that you're in control of it and that you have another season in store for us. And if we're in a good season right now, help us to recognize your goodness in that and the gift that that is. Use it to prepare us for what's next. And God, help us to embrace every season with joy and embrace every season with the uh, desire to do good so that it brings you glory and we find joy in the process. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.